0: do me a favor and sing pretty and we'll sing some of them in, okay? We're going to sing number 474, 474. the 463. 463. If you feel up to it, let me encourage you. Let's all stand. 463. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, it is good to be in the Lord's house. It uh, was a beautiful day today. Amen. Good to have Miss Cadence back with us. Amen. And uh, got to see Georgia there. And so that's that's awesome. Um. I want you to turn with me uh, tonight, if you will, to the book of Ezra again. Let's go to Ezra chapter 3 tonight. Ezra chapter 3. And in Ezra chapter 3, the Bible says this. It says, When the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem, and then stood up Jeshua the son of Josedek and his brethren the priests and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and his brethren and builded, the altar, uh, and builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon as it is written in the law of Moses the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord even burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept also the feast of tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. And afterward offered uh, the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were uh, consecrated, and of everyone that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to sing your praises here tonight. We just uh, thank you for the health that we enjoy to be here. Father, we just uh, pray that you'd be with those who are apart from us. We know many are traveling. We pray, Lord, that you give them safety, help them to be a blessing and to be blessed. Father, we pray for those who are sick and can't be here tonight. Lord, I just pray that you'd put your healing upon them, just to help it to not to go through the whole family, but to, to raise people up and to give them the health that they need. Be with the requests, both spoken and unspoken. And more than anything, we just pray that you would be honored and glorified here tonight. Lord, we ask this all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to be looking at the Feast of Tabernacles tonight, and uh, it's a feast all the feasts of the Lord are important. Uh, we're living really in the time of fulfillment of some of these feasts. And uh, so I kind of want to talk about that. If you were here last week, we were here last Tuesday. It was kind of weird. If I, was, I had to change the date on the prayer letter and everything. It's, everything's usually a week off. And I had to remember that we were here on Tuesday last week. But anyhow, uh, last week we saw that God was in command of the most minute and particular of details. In the history of the world meaning this we saw that he had named Cyrus over a hundred years before the man was even born he named if you will Cyrus as a king of a country that wasn't predominant at that time it'd be kind of like saying you know Canada ruled the world at the time well today you'd say come on Canada's not gonna (laughs) rule the world well I mean a hundred years later who knows okay and so, if you will, uh, uh, even before that, they would even imagine that this country would have become to prominence. He names the country, and he names the king. He named what he was going to do. You remember, he said he's going to take and he's going to conquer. He's going to take and he's going to command that my children go back into their promised land and regain their inheritance. They rebuild the temple, and uh, and the Bible says even though it was uh, even though he wasn't a believer, we we looked at that. I, I'm paraphrasing here, but the Bible made it clear that he wasn't even a believer, but he was following the commands of God. He certainly wasn't a believer when the Lord prophesied all these things. And so if you will, uh, we see that God is in control of everything. Now, I will tell you this, this is not really my notes, but uh, we touched on it last week about then if everything goes according to God's plan, then who's responsible for their own actions, okay? You remember that? And you remember in Romans chapter 9, I don't know if any of you went back there, but in Romans chapter 9, he said, be careful. He said, listen, the potter has power over the clay, all right? But in a sense, he knows which vessels are for honor and for dishonor, okay? And he can make a a vessel like Pharaoh, raise him up to take and to make a point and to teach a lesson, and and he could certainly do that with Cyrus, okay? And so um, my whole point is this, is some people take that to a bad level, saying, well, you're either going to be saved or you're not going to be saved well please take this the right way in some ways that's absolutely true but you know what the bible also says whosoever will may call upon the name of the lord and we have an aspect of our will that you, you want to go you want to be saved or you don't want to be saved the only difference is god knows those who, those who will even before the foundation of the world and so if you will god knows all the details just because he's god by virtue of who he is he knows these things amen by the way, it's good for us every once in a while to just stop and pause and meditate about our God. You know a lot of times we just think about and providing our meals and our safety and our health and, and, and our salvation, of course, uh, things like that. Folks, it's so much more than that. <laughs> it is so much more than that. you know in the Bible when the Bible talks about in Colossians chapter one verse 17, by him, all things consist, all things are held together." Uh, folks it just it' just in the even smallest Parts of this universe that we cannot even see, God's in control. And uh, having said that, how He could be in control and still give us free will is just, just shows you the magnificence of our wonderful God. But as we look at this portion of Scripture here today, we see that um, He's talking about here that they went back in the seventh month, okay, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, a couple about a month ago, I taught you that one of the things that God did is He changed the calendar, okay? You remember with Exodus? And we'll see this here in a second, but in, in Exodus chapter 12, He says, this shall be the first month unto you. Well, that was the seventh month of the old calendar, and so immediately I thought, well, okay. But no, the seventh month of the new calendar, okay, the religious calendar is the one that gives us this one here, okay? It's uniquely Israel's calendar, okay? Okay. And so, again, uh, it's important to take and to define your terms when he's talking about the seventh month. And it's pretty easy to identify this one because he says they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? And so it's pretty easy to figure out, all right? But having said that, what month is it for us now? It's the 11th month, okay? And I'm going to ask you some deep theology now. What month was it last month? (laughs) It was the 10th month, okay? But having said that, for Israel, it was still the seventh month. Because I don't know if you know this, but does anybody remember the day the attack in Gaza took place? What day for us? Let you me know what day it was. October 7th or something. Like that. Yeah, it was October 6th, okay. But uh, 6th, 7th. Uh, by the way, they divide. We, di- we start our days at midnight. They start their days at 6 a.m. So there's a little bit of uh, conf- uh, confliction there. But uh, the whole point is this is October 6th, well, October 6th, folks, if you don't know, was the eighth day, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? And so, if you will, by the way, I, I didn't go here on purpose, it just, it was here, so praise the Lord, it worked out. But the whole point is this, is, uh, is they chose that date on purpose. Can I tell you this? The people in Hamas knew what October 6th meant. It was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to talk about that here tonight. You're going to see why it was such an important day. And then see why we need to make some applications for ourselves in it. Okay? So if you will, it was no accident they, that they went back in the seventh month. God said go back in the seventh month. He chose that time specifically to be a lesson. Where were they going? Think about it. Abigail, could you bring me a water, huh? Um, if you think about it, um, uh, why did they go back in the seventh month? And the reason is is because the lesson of what tabernacles was. Anybody know what a tabernacle is? Another, by the way, what's another name for the Feast of Tabernacles? Anybody know? Tents is, is the uh, NIV version of that word. Booths, there you go. The King James version of that word is booth or booth. It literally means a lean-to. Anybody here in, in Boy Scouts ever made a lean-to? Ever made a lean-to? All right, good, thank you. <laughs> one person knows how to make a lean-to. A lean-to is essentially, if you don't have a tent, it's a way of making a shelter when you're in the woods. We would take and uh, prop up branches together and essentially make a, a lean-to. You lean branches together, and you give you a place of co- covering and shelter to take and sleep in. Well, once a year, all of Israel, all the Israelite males were commanded to go and to live that way. They were to take, and they were to make booths. They were to make tabernacles. They were to make temporary dwellings okay well think about this their promises had been only given to them temporarily all right how many of y'all would trade a tent for a house did you really say no you'd rather live in a tent room yeah <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he was being emphatic and I'm like better clarify here I'll promise you this. My wife does not like camping, <laughs> and it's because of the tent. <laughs> okay. she, we uh, One time early on, uh, I had been pastor here for a couple years, and, and, uh, and we had bought a tent. We were going to go to Roaring River, and we were going to finally have a vacation. I got to tell you, I don't know what it was, but early on, our vacations were cursed. I mean, every time we went for rest, it was just worse than... It would have been better just to set it home and leave the doors closed, you know what I'm saying? Because we went down there to Roaring River and there was a torrential rainstorm. And I literally stood all night holding the roof of the tent up so it didn't collapse from all the water it was collecting. You guys ever had one of those nights? Amen? <laughs> and so that might be why she doesn't like camping. I don't know. But uh, if you will, that's what the Tabernacle of the Booth is. It was a temporary dwelling, okay? All of us would trade that temporary dwelling for a permanent dwelling, okay? Well, did they want to be in the promised land temporarily, or do they want to be in the promised land permanently? Think about this for a second. They've been in the promised land since 1948. And what has been the Arabs' or the Muslims' goal ever since is to run them out, okay? But you've got to remember, as God made a promise, we'll show you this here in a second, but he made a promise that one day he was going to bring them back into the land and they were going to be able to keep it forever, permanently, okay? The difference between a tabernacle and a house. And so they were to go and once a year dwell in these tents to remember that God took care of them in the wilderness and and God took care of them when it was a temporary situation, but it was also to remember the promises of what they had laying before them if they would just trust God, okay? And so it's not an accident that that's when God sent them back. God has a purpose for everything he does. And I told you he changed the calendar. You can see that if you want to look at it in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 2. But this calendar also became prophetic for for the history of Israel and for their Messiah. Would you go to Exodus chapter 23? I'll show you that. Exodus chapter 23. excuse me, Exodus chapter 23, look at verse 14. And the Bible says, three times shall they keep a feast unto me in the year, all right? Now, who had to keep this feast? All the men of Israel had to keep this feast. What was a man? A man was anybody between 20 and 50, okay? Um, For the priesthood, it was between 30 and 50, all right? But uh, uh, the men, if you will, were between twenty and fifty. That's when they were, if you were of age, they could serve in the military and stuff like that. Okay, and so to me, that's that's the definition I would go with of all the men. They had to do it three times in a year. Why? Because God wanted them in Jerusalem three times in a year. Why? Well, was it for all the BC years? No. Please take this the right way. It was in the sense that they were to be faithful. Okay. But more importantly, they were to be there during the Christ years. Y'all understand that? You see, God wanted them to see Jesus Christ. He wanted all of Israel to see their Messiah on a cross, paying the price for their sins, their rejection, by the way. And they were all going to bear their sin. They were all going to bear, okay? Because they were all going to be guilty. They saw it. They, they took and they, and they rejected their king. They say, we have no king but uh, Caesar, okay? Well, please tell, uh, please know that was a bad choice, okay? And they've been uh, paying for it ever since. But if you will, he wanted them all there. He wanted them all there for Pentecost. Can I ask a question? Were all the nation of Israel there at Pentecost? The answer to that question is yes, okay? And at least remember, if you look at Acts chapter 2, read it sometime. And it talks about all the different language groups. That were there. Well, the reason that that they were there, they had come from all four corners of the earth to Jerusalem because they were commanded to go how many times a year? Three times a year, okay? They didn't really understand even the middle one, but they, they understood it was a commandment. You come, Passover, Pentecost, and by the way, Pentecost simply means 50 days, meaning you have the Passover and 50 days later I want you in Jerusalem again, okay? Now, they could give all kinds of reasons for it. God knew the reasons for it, okay? And so the first time was to see the Passover, if you will, uh, if you will, uh, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and is his blood that washes us from our sins, amen? But then there he also had a new beginning, okay? Uh, It took place on the eighth day. We'll look at this here in just a second. The eighth day is kind of a number of new beginnings in the Bible, all right. And if you will, he went from having stewardship of him and his word and his gospel from the nation of Israel who rejected him, give it to the church for a temporary time. Okay, And uh, by the way, God established his church on the earth. And is God going to call out all his uh, believers? Don't want to say the church because it's not just the church. It's all his believers at the, at the rapture. Okay. All right. And then after that, he's going to deal with God again, and it's going to be this time of tabernacles, that seventh month. And so if you will, let's look at this real quick. Oh, I never read the verse. Look at verse 14. It says, three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me. Verse 15 says, thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. By the way, the feast of unleavened bread is simply the first feast of the Passover week. Okay? So study that out. Uh, we'll look at that. But from the first to the seventh day, they were to eat nothing but unleavened bread. And the whole purpose behind that was to remember how that God had delivered them from Egypt, right? By the way, how many of y'all think it's a good idea never to forget your salvation? <laughs> Amen, all right? And and that it, once a year, eat unleavened bread for a week. Don't you ever forget how you got from Egypt to here. Don't ever forget it, okay? It's one of the reasons when we take the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. What? What he did for us, for our, for our salvation. Amen? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. It's important for us to remember that lesson. Okay. And so, if you will, they had the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And then, of course, it went down to the Passover. Now, it doesn't say that in this portion of Scripture, but for sake of time, I'll, I'll show that to you here in a second. But then the this, the, the Passover takes place. It says, uh, verse 15, it says, Thou shalt eat... Uh, Unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed in the month Abib. And it says, For in thou camest out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And then he, so that's, if you will, uh, 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 the feast of unleavened bread and the Passover is, is talked about there. And then in verse 16, he's talking about the next two feasts. He says, And the feast of the harvest, that's Pentecost, okay. By the way, um, Uh, You guys would know some of this better than I, but the harvest of the barley took place around the time of Passover. The harvest of the wheat took place around the time of Pentecost, okay? And then the harvest of the corn uh, took place at the time of um, Tabernacles, the final harvest, okay? Okay. And and so, if you will, you could say, well, they were just harvests associated with different with uh, different crops. Yes, they were, but that wasn't the purpose, okay? That wasn't the purpose, but that's why it's called, uh, if you will, verse 16 there, the feast of the harvest, the harvest of the wheat, okay? And it says, and the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of the ingathering, which is the end, and by the way, the Feast of the End Gathering, that's tabernacles, or the last one that we're talking about, okay? And so if you will, he says, come at these three different times of the year. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread, we talked about that. The Feast of the Passover is from the 14th to the 16th, okay? And then, um, if you will, go uh, to Exodus chapter 12, and I'll show you this. Exodus chapter 12. And look at uh, verse 14. The Bible says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Okay? And then notice it says, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. I already told you about that. Okay? And so you had the feast of the unleavened bread from the first to the seventh day, and it was to remember that they were delivered, if you will, in a sense, their salvation. Okay? Don't, don't forget that you were saved. And then you should never forget what saved you. By the way, what saved them in Egypt? What saved them in Egypt? I mean, ultimately. Blood of the Lamb. Yeah, because remember that when, when God came through, he says, if I come to a house that doesn't have the blood, the firstborn in every house is going to die. Okay? Okay? And so, if you will, the firstborn in, in every house did die, all right, except for those, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, okay? And so, if you will, it, they were saved by the shed blood of a lamb, okay, the innocent dying for the guilty. Um, I've been following some of my friends on Facebook here lately, and, and um, I, don't, I love having a good theological conversation. You want to talk about the Bible, have a theological conversation, I, I'm your guy in private. Okay, I'm not real big about putting it on Facebook and making it public. I I never contribute. But one of the things they're arguing about here recently is the law of first mention. Can I just say this? There's no verse in the Bible that says the first time something's mentioned in the Bible. That's how you interpret it. Can I also tell you this? It works 75, 80% of the time. (laughs) Okay, so it's not really a law, but it's a good idea to check. You guys understand? And so, if you will, when he talks about Passover, what did they learn at Passover? They learned that an innocent lamb had to shed its blood to cover. That's what atonement means, by the way. To cover, if you will, the sinners or the sin. Okay? And when God sees the blood, okay? The Bible says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins, meaning this that if God looks at you and there's no blood, uh, when I first got in the ministry, the big argument was, was it the death of Christ or the blood of Christ that saves your soul? And Can I just say this? You can't have blood without him dying. Okay? But, I mean, they, they want to take and strain at a at, but the Bible clearly says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Yeah. And so, if you will, Jesus Christ, the innocent Lamb, Had to shed his blood. And whosoever believes in him, that blood is applied. Just like on the door. Y'all understand? And when I see the blood, Jimmy, don't tell me about your good works. Jimmy, don't tell me about you growing up in church. Jimmy, don't tell me about being a Sunday school teacher. Tell me about the day the blood was applied. Y'all understand? And, and, and so if you will, there's this constant reminder when they, when they partake of this, of this feast of unleavened bread about how that they were delivered and what delivered them, okay? The Passover lamb, if you will. And so God said, I want you to make sure that you're there for that festival. Then I want you to be there for the Pentecost. And the whole purpose behind that, look what it says uh, in Exodus 23, verse 16 again. Sorry, the Bible says this, he says, uh, in the middle part of that, he says, in the feast of the harvest, the, what's the Bible say? The first fruits of thy labor, okay? Now think about this. Whose labor? I just mentioned this a second ago, talking about Jimmy. What saved Jimmy's soul? Was it his works? What is his, his deeds? Or what was it? It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ, okay? So if you will... What would be the first fruits after the shedding of the blood? It would be all those who were redeemed, okay? All those who were redeemed. Uh, You remember, one of the things that they had to do after this is every firstborn of man or animal had to be sacrificed unto the Lord. If it was a human being, you would sacrifice uh, an animal, okay? And if it was an animal, if you wanted to keep the animal, you had to sacrifice another animal, or you had to break its neck. Why? Because that belonged to God. God said, that one belongs to me. Okay, why? I paid for it. Okay. And so if you will, the first and the best belong to God. All right. Well, in a sense, what happened on the day of Pentecost is Jesus Christ had provided for the sins of the world, amen, and now on the day of Pentecost, he announces, this is it. This is what I died for. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. How? By shedding his blood. Y'all understand that? And so in a sense, this is the first fruits in in some ways. This is the very best. This is the very first, okay? And he announces it to the whole world. Um, Go, if you will, and look with me. Uh, Exodus uh, uh, 23, 16, we're already there, okay? And so if you will, that is what took place at Pentecost. That would be a, a whole sermon for that, and so I encourage you, if you want to study that, go, go do that. But he says, be there for three uh, feasts, for Passover, okay, for salvation, uh, picture of salvation, for Pentecost, for the first fruits, and if you will, uh, just rejoicing what God has taken and done. And then for tabernacles, okay, if you will. It's also called trumpets, right? It, because on the first of the seventh month, first day of the seventh month, what the high priest would do is they would send somebody out with a trumpet, and they would blow the trumpets. That's why it was called the Feast of Trumpets, okay? Now, i got to be honest with you. I would love to have heard that. Anybody here have a shofar horn, anything like that? I'm not sure if it's a shofar ram's horn. Okay, that's a shofar. Or if it was a trumpet of some kind. I, I'm not sure. I think it was a, a shofar, but they would take and they would blow. And, just, and the whole idea is, uh, if, you, if you're not familiar, at the new moon... By the way, what's the root word for the word month? It's moon. Okay? And so their, their months start with the phases of the moon. Okay? And, and so when the new moon happens, they would take and blow, and they'd say, it's a new month. It's a new moon. Okay? And they would take and they would blow, and then, of course, they would count, and they say, this is the seventh one. But on that day, they would take and, and they would blow, I think, like ten horns. I can't. Please forgive me. I, f- I forgot but they would take and make it a point to blow a horn on that seventh day. Why? Because it's all about the horn. Y'all understand that? Now think about this with the history of Israel. Are they looking forward to a day where they hear that trumpet? Not really. Who's waiting for the trumpet? We are, okay? Okay. And I, I will tell you this, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to wait for that trump and the last day, then the dead in Christ shall rise first, y'all know that, amen? That, that wonderful promise, amen? But have y'all ever thought about what happens on the day of that trumpet? First off, I'm not sure they're gonna see all the dead in Christ rising first, okay? By the way, i be quite honest with you, to this day, I'm not 100% sure I understand what that means, okay? What it means to me is all those in heaven they come down, and they get their body first. But I, I you know, I don't, I, when do you get your body? I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Okay, please forgive me. Uh, it's, there's some things in the Bible you, you study and you study and you still, you're just not sure. So it's just good to say what it says, okay, all right? And so if you will, but think about this. What about all of us who are alive on the earth? What's going to happen when the trumpet blows? going to be caught up ever to be with the Lord. Think about this. The Bible says we're going to be changed in an instant. Okay? And so if you will, we're going to go from having this to all of a sudden no more pain. We're all going to be handsome. We're all going to have singing voices. I'll get to something you're going to amen about. (laughs) Okay? Uh, We're going to have a new body. We're going to be changed in an instant. Amen? But as much as anything, we're going to go from being here to going there. You say, well, Israel's not looking for that. Israel ought to be. I want you to show you something here. Um, Go to Revelation chapter 4, please. Revelation chapter 4. And Revelation, many people believe, is, is... a difficult book to understand. To be quite honest with you, if you'll just let it speak for itself, it's, it's pretty clear. And there's not a metaphor or a picture in Revelation that isn't explained somewhere else in the Bible. That's, that's a fact, okay? You can find everything in the book of Revelation somewhere else to help you to understand what it means, okay? But notice what it says in, in chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, after this, I looked and beheld, and a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee uh, uh, things which must be hereafter, okay? If you remember in chapter 1, he says, I'm going to show you that which was, that which is, and that which is to come, okay? And so in chapter 1, Jesus, that which was, Then chapters 2 and 3, that which is. You guys familiar with chapter 2 and 3? It's talking about the church. It's talking about churches, is it not? Okay. And so, very clearly, he's talking about churches. And then the very first verse of chapter 4, he says, come up hither. Now please take this the right way. Not just churches go at the rapture, but all believers go at the rapture. But, in doing that, the churches go. I, I've preached a message it's been a while since I did it, but there will be churches meeting the day after the rapture. okay and I'll just tell you what kind of churches they were, okay but I, I would just tell you this, and by the way, what kind of members because there, there might be some people who are members of churches that don't don't go in the rapture. why? why? Because they're not saved, <laughs> okay because they're not saved. but here, here's the deal. From this point until chapter 19, you don't see the church again. And when you see the church again in chapter 19, where is the church? The church is in heaven. Okay? How did it get there? Go to chapter 4. Come up hither. Y'all with me? Now, we're believers in this age, and church age. We're waiting for the trumpet. Amen? But how many of y'all think that it's going to be impossible for people to ignore the rapture. Planes are going to crash. Buses are going to drive. Cars are going to drive into things. Why? Well, the driver went somewhere. Okay? And the Bible says, I believe it's in, uh, help me, is it Titus 2? God should send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Y'all with me? And, And, man, the lies are going to start. And I'll promise you this. By the way, who is the aggressor in the war in Israel right now? Come on, give me an answer. Huh? (laughs) Who said who knows? That might be the best answer. Who is the aggressor? Hamas. Who is the world saying is the aggressor? Israel. Folks, how can you take something so obvious and turn it into a lie that the world is believing already? We're living in the midst of it. And so when the rapture happens, they'll have an explanation for it, and people go, oh, oh, I guess that's what happened. But again, we should notice where and when things happen. Because immediately after chapter 4 and verse 1, you're immediately in the throne room of God, and you see the throne room of God in chapters 4 and in chapter 5. You all with me? And then go to chapter 6, okay? Look at verse 1. In chapter 6, in verse 1, the Bible says, And I saw when the Lord opened one of the vials, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. And one of the four four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. And folks, if you're not familiar, tribulation begins. Tribulation begins, okay? You see, the trumpet is the announcement, if you will. And I believe it's a picture of the rapture. I, I believe we believe that, okay? But I'm also saying this. That there's going to be some people in Israel that go, <coughs> didn't the New Testament talk about that? And by the way, if it's in the New Testament, didn't I just tell you a minute ago it's also in the Old Testament? Okay? And there's going to be some that their eyes are opened immediately. Okay? All right? I'll show you this more here in just a second. Okay. Because when we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, the first, the first day of the month, they blow the trumpet. Okay? And then on the 10th day of the month, they have a thing called Yom Kippur. You guys ever heard of Yom Kippur? Okay? Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, stands for the Day of Atonement. Okay? And that was a feast that Israel was supposed to keep on the 10th day of the 7th month. Okay? And they were supposed to, if you will... I want to say this the right way, but they were supposed to torment their souls. What I mean by that is, you guys ever been under conviction? Essentially, it means that. Get under conviction. Why? Because you, you want to make sure you're right with God. You all understand that? And so the whole purpose for the tribulation, guys, is for Israel to examine their heart and their relationship with God. Y'all with me? Okay. Well, notice what it says in um, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17. Revelation chapter, verse verse 17, lest you think that's my opinion, he summarizes it. Okay. And he says, the great day of his wrath is come and who shall abide to stand. Meaning, if you will, the tribulation is the great day of God's wrath. He's pouring out his wrath on the earth. Again, location, location, location. Go to chapter 7. And what's the first thing it talks about? In chapter 7, it says, And after these things, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. And I saw another angel ascending uh, from the east, having a great seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. Folks, he's talking about getting people saved. Okay? If you want a whole sermon on that, ask me, but that's what he's talking about. And you're familiar with the people he's talking about. You guys ever heard of the 144,000? Well, folks, the 144,000 are composed of 12 tribes with 12,000 members each. And what did they just observe? Folks, they just observed, if you will, a trumpet. Maybe they didn't hear it, but a whole bunch of people disappeared, and people all around the world are trying to come up with answers, and most of the people are believing a lie. But the 144,000 don't. (laughs) By the way, do you see how easy it is to understand the book of Revelation if you just read the book of Revelation? Okay. Now, having said that, I want you to go through the list, okay, and just look real quick, just if you can. And it says there's 12,000 from this tribe, okay, starts out in verse uh, 5, okay, 12,000 of of Judah, of Reuben, of Gad, okay. And it goes uh, at 12,000 through Asher and Naphtalim and of Manasseh, and of Simeon, and of Levi, and of Issachar. Verse 8, Zabulon, and of Joseph, and of Benjamin. Okay? By the way, anybody notice the tribe missing? Dan's missing. Okay? I had somebody call me and ask me this the other day. And they asked me, they said, why, why is he missing? Help me for a second here. The 144,000, are they believers? They're sealed in their forehead. They have the knowledge of God. They know God. Okay, why isn't Dan there then? Okay, can you go to Genesis chapter 49? Genesis chapter 49. And look at uh, verse 16. And the Bible says, Dan shall judge his people. And By the way, that sounds like a good thing. It's not. Read it the opposite way. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel, as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent, by the way. Does that sound good? An adder in the path that bideth the horse's heels, so that the rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. It's a plea from, if you will, Israel, Jacob, that his son Dan might be saved. If you don't know the history of Dan, and I'm, I'm out of time, but I would encourage you to go to the book of Judges, chapter 18. Maybe write this down or put, make a middle note. And in verse 1, it talks about the tribe of Dan, if you will, was dissatisfied with their inheritance. Okay? Now help me, but God gave them the promised land. You may know what was north of there. Today it's Lebanon, but back then it was Tyre and Sidon. Okay? And they went to the land of the Sidonians, okay? And if you'll read that chapter in in Judges chapter 18, they go and they get an idolatrous priest and his idols, okay? And they said, you be our priest and these will be our gods, all right? Now, folks, you don't have to make this stuff up. You just got to compare Scripture with Scripture. They were unbelievers, why were they unbelievers in the Old Testament? Because in a sense, as a nation, they were always unbelievers. Okay? You all understand that? Even from the beginning, Jacob was crying out. He was praying for his son's salvation. Okay? He knew that uh, that tribe was going to cause Israel to stumble. Why were they put into captivity? We know for how long was because they not keeping Sabbath. But they were put into captivity because they had gone from worshiping God to worshiping idols. Amen okay and so if you will we see the day of atonement the whole purpose is what is to get israel to examine their soul to trust the god of the bible amen <coughs> then they become the soul winners they get people saved then of course the persecution begins and they have to all go into hiding and the 144,000 they actually are all martyred and they all die okay but they they accomplish their purpose if you will and they get saved what happens at the end of the tribulation? What happens at the end? What's the, the most significant thing at the end of the tribulation? It's the second coming of Jesus Christ, folks. And he comes to rule and to reign on the earth. And folks, what have been, people been trying to do with Israel for all of their history? Boot them out of their promised land. Y'all with me? Abraham, you got to live in a tent. Okay? David, I, I know you want to build me a, a, t- a temple, but you're still a tent nation, okay? You're going to go into captivity, and, and you're going to be scattered throughout the world, and I'm, I'm going to bring you in, but then you're going to get scattered again, and they're going to bring you in, and they're going to try to scatter you again. Y'all with me? Please take this the right way. How many of y'all think the first day that they get to stay in their promised land? Amen? This is what God promised us. This is the fulfillment of everything. Uh, Let me give you the illustration. How many of y'all can't wait to see heaven? That's going to be their heaven, in a sense, because that's the fulfillment of all God's promises to the nation of Israel. And that is, if you will, the feast of tabernacles, meaning live in the tent. Now, uh, one more question here. How many of y'all did like staying in a tent? Standing in front of people that own RVs. (laughs) I'm not trying to make fun. There's a reason why we prefer RVs to tents. Y'all with me? Okay? So here's the thing is how many of y'all would like to live in a lean to? (coughs) There are bugs in it, the ground's uncomfortable, it's cold they're leaky by definition come on now unless you know how to make a lean-to better than I do which is possible Okay, but I would just say this he's saying this, he says live in this knowing this, this is not where you want to live now Christian is there a principle that maybe we can pull from that folks this earth is not where we want to live this is not where we want our treasure come on and we ought to maybe just kind of think through these things sometimes. It would be good for us to have a Passover moment every once in a while and think about when we were lost and how Jesus Christ saved us. He's the one who did it. Maybe go from the day where you, you were the first fruits, amen. You got saved and, and uh, now you're living for the Lord. Praise the Lord, amen. But then you also ought to take that tabernacle moment and just say, you know what, this world's not my home just passing through. My treasures are what? Laid up. <laughs> Amen. And I, I would just tell you this. Our true home is waiting for us. Amen. It would be good for us to remember that every once in a while. See, there's no mistake why God had them go back at this time. It's no accident, if you will. By the way, uh, go back to our text and we'll be done. Go to, back to Ezra. And it's interesting to me. How many went back? How many left? Well, I, my, the big answer is I don't know. Okay, does that help? That narrow it down. By the way, all you preachers, it's better to say you don't know than to act like you do. Amen. Um. If you were to, we read chapter one last week, and now we read chapter three, so chapter two obviously is in between, and chapter two essentially says these people went back, and you go through and you see the roster, and it's a good thing to study, but I didn't want to bore you with too many details, but at the end of it, it says essentially that there were 42,000 priests and believers, and then there were 7,000 servants, okay, You do the math, and it was around 50,000, just under 50,000 people went back. How many people did I tell you went into Israel when they crossed the Red Sea? It was close to 3 million. Well, how many people went into captivity? The answer is I don't know. But how many of y'all think if millions went in and they were there for 400 years or so, how many of y'all think there might have been a lot of Israelites there? Y'all with me? And so they went into captivity. Where did they go into captivity? They went into captivity into Babylon, and then they went back. And how many went back? Fifty thousand. Okay. Why don't you think about this? Fifty thousand. All right. Fifty thousand. Literally, only the true believers went back. You know why? Because some of them got comfortable in Babylon. They said, "Man, I got a nice house here now. I've been been here seventy years. My life's here." Amen. And some of them said, My life will never be here because God made me a promise. Come on now, amen? If you will, only a remnant went back. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. We'll just hit this and we'll be done. But in Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 11. I feel like I wrote down the wrong one here. Uh. Okay, forgive me. I might have wrote that down wrong, but I wrote down two of them. So go to Acts. This will help me here. Go to Acts. Acts chapter 7. And look at verse 6. Acts chapter 7 and verse 6, this is uh, Stephen, he's witnessing to Israel here in in a sense. And uh, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 6, And God spake on this wise, that his seed should sojourn in a, what's the Bible say? Strange land. land. That's what I was trying to say. Folks, we're all strangers and pilgrims, we're foreigners here. Amen. And can I just say this? All those Jews should have realized they were foreigners in a foreign land. Y'all understand that? They weren't home. Why? Where was their home? Their home was Israel. Okay? And so, if you will, and God spake on this wise that his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. Does that apply to us even as Christians in a way? Absolutely. The Bible says, And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, saith God. And after that they shall come forth and serve me, say it with me, in this place. You got to realize. True believers realize this. This world is not our home. Our treasures are temporary here. We're only living in tents. But we're going to be housed someday when we're ever with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it can teach us. We just pray that you'd help us not just...